Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Speaker request. Accept. Ross is in the house. Ross, can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Did we ever find out anything cool to talk about? Um, I don't know. You got any uh, strong thoughts on the new Olivia Rodrigo album? Um, I think the only thing that has been told is I'm 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 not allowed to like it. I haven't listened to it yet, but I I I think. I'm a pedophile if I like it. I think that's what the discourse has been recently. Millennials uh, need not apply. That's a a really interesting take on the that's that's a part of the discourse I had missed. Well, it just seemed it, it seemed very gatekeepy from the uh, the Gen Z folk, uh, where it was very much um, uh, you cannot relate to our problems and therefore stop trying to relive your high school uh, traumas through Olivia Rodrigue. Uh, go enjoy your music, which I'm sure they think is like the Beatles or something. Mm, that's fair. I, I think that was probably just like preemptive because millennials are becoming increasingly boomerish in our response to Gen Z. It's really, hate to see it. it really, I mean, like probably the most predictable turn that was ever to occur, but like, it really does suck that like the, like I'm, I'm a very big believer in the, like each generation is a reaction to the prior generation. And we are, a reaction to the actual cool Gen Xers, um, which is why Gen Z is cool, and us and boomers are are, are wildly lame. Mm. That's a fair, a fair argument. I, I can see how you got there. Um, yeah, I I think that uh, I think that 
we will either have to join alliances with Gen Z or uh, they will end up killing us, which, you know, either or I think ends up uh, being relatively advantageous to where I sit. Uh, We either have to do that with Gen Z or the entire uh, Republic of China, one of the two, as us as Americans. Mm. Or both. Or both. The Gen Z Chinese folk are going to end up being those that rule the world. Oh, Brian is in the house. Uh, Let's see. Speaker requests. Rippy, uh, what do you what, what say you on uh, getting getting uh, spiked in the face at age forty five by a member of the uh, Generation Z? What uh, what like what context? Oh, just well, generally it that we are with uh, the new Olivia Rodrigo album that everyone was talking about, and then we were discussing whether or not we were allowed to listen to it as the old folks because millennials are becoming increasingly boomers towards gen z which i don't even know who that person is that you said so i'm gonna go and rule myself in the camp that is not allowed to (laughs) (laughs) i think that is uh, that's relatively safe did you ever hear hear that song driver's license no i bought my driver's license last week yeah it came out in i'm gonna guess like february i have no idea and it was enormous um and then that girl recorded a whole album, which, as I will say, I've listened to parts of it. It's pretty good, although it's really tough that like this guy. I've told, I've talked to a couple of friends about this. This guy who it's about like has to, I don't know, go into witness protection now because like people hate him for hurting this girl or whatever. But like, it's Wait. a whole album. Oh, this is oh, it's a real. It's, it's based off a guy. It's based off a real guy. And get this, here's what he did wrong. He didn't date a minor. Ah, yeah, that's they met that... on the set of a TV show because I've I've learned about this when he was like eighteen and she was like sixteen and she was into him and I'm sure and I'm sure he was very nice. He may have like you know let her on a little bit too much, but then he like started dating another girl on the show who was like nineteen and didn't date her when she was sixteen, and now like oh. the biggest album in the world is about how this guy sucks so hard. <laughs> Wait, there's there's a line in that driver's license song about something like she's so much older than me and I'm I'm insecure about it. It's that blonde girl I always worry yeah, about or whatever. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, that she's insecure old. about like statutory rape. That's <laughs> I would say most people are. Yeah. That, well, see, now this is like it's it's it like it's extreme it's extreme like Taylor Swift energy from from the sense of like I could very, I mean, it's that exact same angst. Is there, is there any uh, evidence that this woman's father like uh, paid off some Nashvilleian recording studio or something? Uh, not to my knowledge, but she was like on a, they met like on a Disney show. So she was like, had a following before she decided to. Oh, so so this, this is one of the, the, the Mickey Mouse kids playhouse justin timberlake to the ariana grande to the apparently this girl pipeline that's the way it seems i i will confess i have never watched any episodes of high school musical the musical the series which is the name of the show that she's on no way um, i am not kidding that is the name of the show it's that's, on netflix no, that's too Eagles. good oh, sorry um, um uh, oh wow, Rippy, Rippy rejoining and then and then unjoining again, trying to rack up those speaker gems. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't understand the point 
of the gems. I, I like having them, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do with them. Can I, like, turn them in for, you know, a reward? Like, is that, is that like Dave and Buster's? Yeah, it's actually Dogecoin. That's what each one of the gems is. Nice. So the more I speak on Locker Room, you know, going to the moon, right? Going to the moon, something like that. Something I, I, uh, something to where I, I would like to stand next to Elon Musk with a, a vest that maybe uh, turns into something else as I press a button. You know, uh, I wish you the best of luck with that. Um, it, you know, I it mean, is, talk- it is, it is right. It's starting to get into summer where, you know, vests aren't really appropriate, but like if you need to go out at night and it might get a little chilly, a vest could be nice. You know, it could a be vet- the right season for that. It could be very warm. Uh, I, I, I feel like it would be, I don't know, a couple thousand degrees even. Mm. I well, think it does get a- hot in those emerald mines. It does get hot in those <laughs> emerald mines. And in the, uh, in the uh, in those in those tunnels where you're trying to save children. Well, I mean, you gotta. There we go. <laughs> you, Brippy, you back? Yeah, I heard cave tunnels. Um, I read the, so the New York Times did a story when those kids were stuck up in that thing, and the way they got them out is still one of the wildest, probably like like feats of humanity of the last fifty years. I would say. Can you fill me in on how they got I, them out? Will you? Can you I know they. So they were difference. they were multiple miles in that cave. Like the fact that they even got in there. Well, actually, th- so they got in there right when it was all dry, and then it starts raining or whatever, and it floods the cave, and so they're stuck or whatever. But was it a soccer team or something? Yeah, it was a little. I think it was Taiwanese soccer team. I may have that wrong. Uh-huh. These kids were like 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 ten, eleven years old, and the fact that they found them was essentially the equivalent of finding like a, a literal needle in a haystack. And the fact that they stumbled upon them is miraculous enough. But basically these divers swam multiple miles into this cave back to where these kids were located and basically had like, I mean, it's going to sound morbid, but like body bags, not for like assuming they're dead. They knew they were alive and basically just swam these kids back multiple miles while they were in, like uh, in these bags with oxygen masks and they had a limited time to do it. And they're, like, sticking these kids and themselves through crevices, like, the size of, like, a person and a half for multiple hours going one by one getting these dudes out. That's Jesus. And, uh, and was crazy. And wasn't the, uh, what, wasn't the reason they were dunking on him because he wanted to have some sort of, like, miniature submarine type thing go in there? Oh, Elon Musk? Yeah, that, that, was, what, that was who we were he- attempting to dunk on. Oh, yeah. Oh, easy to dunk on him on this scenario. So he threw a shit fit because he offered up some sort of piece of equipment, some sort of like cave rocket thing. And the Chinese officials and government didn't take it because it didn't fucking fit. It wasn't even close to the size that they would need to get through these crevices and stuff in the cage. And he decides to go to the media and be like, yeah, well, I'll offer my help. They want my rocket. It's like it can't fit in the cave, man. I'm not really sure what you like are missing about this. Didn't he call the guy who did figure out how to get him out a pedophile? Like, he said he only wanted to help the kids because he was a pedophile, and, like, he did it, and Elon Musk was doing it out of the goodness of his heart? I don't know about that. That wouldn't be shocking, but Elon Musk definitely went for, like, the grandstand PR move, and, of course, everyone over there, like, actually tried to get the kids out. We're like, I don't know why this fucking guy keeps offering us this rocket. We we can't use it. You're going to have to get back. The gate's too narrow. 
the gate's too narrow. <laughs> That's you have to perfect. back up. <laughs> you gotta back up, man. Just a uh, a bygone era of simplicity where uh, ESPN commercials were good, and uh, I didn't hate Drew Brees. Do they still do uh, this is Sports Center ads? I don't know. Which I do feel like that was kind of like it, just in terms of a, a a marketing play with what they tried to do. I the the, the SVP like I I like tuning into SVP as as a, an hour whenever it's on after a big game or, or it runs into. But I do feel like there is uh they they tried to brand every single like hour of ESPN. And I feel like it really didn't go well. Like they tried to give the Mike, uh, the, the Michael and Jamel hour. Like, I feel like they tried to do a weird, like, uh, like a Steve Levy, Kenny main type, like late night when, when SVP wasn't there. And I feel like they should have just doubled down on like, we are going to get good hosts to host this and you need to tune into sports center. But that was also when like, it became a lot more narrative driven because all the highlights went to your, your phone and everything. And so they had to do larger store, but I don't know. I just felt like the branding of sports center as an entity within ESPN over the years has gone very much to their detriment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if y'all like have it. I, I, I feel like they were, Sports Center was, you know, came up in a time when there was no social media. So, like, you tuned in. And I remember when I was a kid, I would watch it. And they just, you know, after the hour, they would almost start the exact same show over again, verbatim. And they just showed all the important scores and a clip or two from the big NBA games, the big NFL games, whatever happened that day. And now we're in a place where you don't need sports center to get the scores and to see the Vlad Guerrero home run, you know, like it's nice. And like he hits a bunch of them so you can watch it. But I feel like they had to pivot to something that was a little more for lack of a better word, like interesty. They had to tell stories and get something editorial in there and not just, the repeating of scores because you can just get that on Twitter or on your ESPN app or something, and there's no need to tune into Sports Center for that. I agree. I think piggybacking off of that too is like back then, all those guys were Sports Center dudes, and they just kind of gave the highlights with their little own personal flair on it. And now, just the whole media landscape has changed to where I mean, what do you see when you're on in the mornings? It's not Sports Center; it's it's first take and undisputed or whatever. And, like, this is even, like, the keep politics out of sports guy. It's just the hot take shows are so polarizing. If you did a commercial with Stephen A. or Kellerman now, half the people in it, like, half the people watching it would be like, oh, fuck this guy. And, like, there wasn't that polarization with the sports center hosts, I feel like. Well, the, I guess the thing that I find weird about it is, like, for the sports that I follow extremely closely, like college football or the NBA, like I am caught up with anything that may happen on my phone before I log on. But I do like how SportsCenter, like it, it, it told you what to watch in the media landscape from the aspect of like, I don't really pay attention to hockey. Like I don't really anymore pay attention to, to baseball. And so like, there was a nice aspect of it being able to kind of sit down and be like, these were the storylines from this sport that you might not follow on your phone all that closely where like now, if you don't want to follow, like 
as someone who doesn't ever really watch sports center anymore, I don't really go out and see, especially like with the way that these algorithms work now, like the more stuff that you follow within one particular niche, like the more things that you're going to like get down further and further in that rabbit hole, because it's typically easier to advertise and market to you at, at that super niche place. And so I feel like I will go now like six weeks where it's like, oh, shit, like I have no idea what's going on in the MLB right now, as opposed to in a sports landscape where I listened or turned on SportsCenter because it was part of my habit. Like I actually would end up keeping up with it. And maybe that's more on me than anything. But uh, as as we do know about this show, uh, my experiences uh, should be um, uh, replicated and or uh, extrapolated through the entire population. Well, as we, as uh, Andrew said, his experiences should be completely discounted and never considered by anyone else to be accurate or a guiding principle of their life. Um, but and like my apartment now, like I don't have cable. I have a, a digital antenna, so I can watch you know like over the top shows. Like I can get you know ABC, NBC, that stuff. But I feel like SportsCenter they do still have some of that. You know, I haven't, I haven't watched an episode in a while, so I have to be, I could be wrong about this, but I think they went from one hour of straight scores and highlights to, you know, 20, 30 minutes of scores and highlights and 20, 30 minutes of, you know, information. And I will say, like, I prefer just me as someone who I think keeps up with scores pretty well, but, you know, there's a lot I don't know. Um, I'm informed about like the facts usually pretty well. I know sort of the standings in the SEC or whatever. I know Oregon is doing well this week, or I know that the Padres are now hitting and, you know, they were bad at the beginning of the season. They're now good. But if someone is being paid a lot of money to talk about the Padres, uh, or the Lakers or whatever, I want them to be able to tell me something other than like, damn, that LeBron dude is good. Like, I like tuning in and they say, this is the latest thing that's happening. And, you know, uh, ex quarterback has really cut down on his interceptions because uh, he got this wide receiver back and they clearly have a really good relationship. And this is why he's better. Or even, you know, the man who, according to Twitter, has, like, the worst food takes of all time, Dan Orlovsky, gets on, and he's, like, he gets on a, an a ESPN show, and he just says, hey, this quarterback's looking better, here's why. Like, their offensive line is better. And I feel like that adds much more to my appreciation of watching sports than knowing exactly the score in every single sports game. But that's also, you know could be the fact that I have a broken brain. Like, I'm here with y'all every week talking about ostensibly college football, uh, although it's the offseason right now, so we're just talking about whatever. Um, that, like, that adds more to me. Maybe I'm just unique in the marketplace of ESPN watchers, but it seems like that's what they're tilting towards because I think that adds to more of what we can get out of it. Yeah, there is a... Uh... I, I I definitely see what you are uh, like. I don't know. It, I feel like as these these algorithms have gotten like that much better and personalized, I have gone back to this. I, I think it's just me going back to the lazy brain take of like, tell me what's important now. Like, tell me what y'all are going to talk about. Tell me what I need to stay abreast on. Because like you were saying, the only like. I, 
scores are going to calcify in my mind just because I'm going to scroll through whatever apps at the end of the night just to check through box scores because like I used to do with a newspaper, it's 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 encoded into my uh, broken brain. But there is like a a narrative breakdown that I, I can go like certainly without. But speaking of a uh, narrative breakdown, has anyone heard uh, anything? Because I, I feel like I don't even have to do a bit in terms of like, oh, I haven't paid attention to college football because like, what the fuck is there to pay attention to in college football right now? I mean, like, this is especially a, like, this is coming off of uh, what I would call the the least uh, relevant in terms of like actual data points being able to draw from and like least amount of overall excitement just because back to, I mean, so many teams either just had games canceled or whatever, yada, yada. I don't know. I just feel like we are in the largest lull of like a, a dearth of college football information that I've I've ever been a part of. Yeah, I mean, right now you can either get if there's a player on your team who you cared a lot about who got drafted, they just started OTAs. So you could read that, like, they were impressing in minicamp. And, like, of course they are. Like, they're... That's, yeah, that's yeah, all they're, 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 to impress the coaches and talk about how good they are. Or there's, like, I guess a couple of transfers who, you know, took their time deciding, who announced they were transferring a while ago and are, like, now telling you where they're going to go. And there's usually some scandal that has happened by now. Not even like full on, like scandal is always such a strong word, but some kind of thing to where someone has embarrassed themselves to this point, and that hasn't really happened. No, there, like, here's, I guess here's what I'm wondering. Has the media cycle pushed down college football news so far to the point where it's like, all right, any of these things just aren't going to get national churn because of there is 800,000 other things going on. And you have pl- like uh, all the sports schedules have been thrown into whack. And so you, you now have like actual real live content that's taking the place. Or is it a like are, are, are schools getting better at not necessarily covering it up because you can't get much better than like Florida State and Miami did in the 80s and 90s with covering things up. But like our team's getting better with like PR responses to a lot of these things and getting out of it. Or is it just like a weird coincidental like just not a lot of shit has happened. Like, where, where do y'all think it falls? I mean, Rip, you're obviously going to be more informed on this, but my best guess right now is that they, uh, no one was allowed to, like, they were so careful about being specifically with their teams and not doing anything during the COVID season that, like, now is when stories come out about all the shit they did during the season that, you know, that's when their bag men were off giving cash cash to recruits and stuff like that. And, like, if you're trying to be careful, like, everyone was so much more cautious. You know, they weren't ever leaving their facilities or anything like that, that it's possible they just didn't get up to as much dumb shit that they're going to get in trouble for simply because they were always either at home or at the facility when normally they'd be out, you know, like, at a strip club or, like, using their school-issued phone to call an escort service, like, that escort's going to give you COVID. So, like, you're not going to do that. You're going to take a, a brief break from it this year. And, you know, next year we'll catch up. Yeah, I mean, I think you're dead on with that. And I think, like, it, it's that and a combination of a couple other things, too. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, even if these kids are vaccinated and stuff now, which I would – I'm going to be interested to see the uh, kind of the per reported percentages of how many teams, like, reach vaccination thresholds and all that, just in terms of, like, I guess – 
accessibility is not even the right way to put it now because pretty much anyone can go get one. But just the, the the way these programs can kind of like, quote, coax without coaxing these kids to go get that the vaccine. And then the, they're so used to being at home, I imagine that's going to play a part of it. And then, honestly, if a coach is going to embarrass himself, there's no uh, recruiting trail to do it on now. Yeah, and there's a uh, th- there is um, like nothing ever happens in terms of um, like I feel like the the only types of stuff that you're going to get busted with over the summer are going to be um, a, like all alcohol related stuff is generally go like kids. It's not the kids have stopped drinking over the summer. College kids or college kids, but like a. If you have uh, like most most athletes generally hang out with other athletes and some other ancillary friends. And so a having a 60 person house party during covid you throw out whether how safe or unsafe. But um, being in a bar, I mean, being in a bar and being at a house party, probably both equally unsafe activities, being in a bar, probably a much, much larger propensity to like you're doing shots, you're getting drunk, people are buying you things, yada, yada, yada. And or the possibility of you also driving from there. And so like with any like public intoxication, urination in public, MIP in combination with like the more serious stuff of like DUI and anything like that, I feel like those are going to like those are going to be the things that pop up in, when you get like, oh, Mark Richt is losing the team. Does Georgia have character issues? Yada, yada. It's just like dumb college kids who are bored over the summer. Now they just have a little bit less con- or more constrained of, of what their social calendar could look like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was thinking of it almost exclusively in terms of coaches because they're the ones that, you know, are really acting up usually. But it makes sense that, you know, the college kids, they can't all be doing their normal shit. They can't out, you know, be out till all hours at whatever bar is in, you know, their town. There's also still time, right? These kids aren't quite back yet. Like, I'll be interested to see when they come back for summer and they're, you know, able to do different things, like what that looks like. There's also an element of it to where these, not that you get, you know, incredible access to, uh, to, you know, coaches and uh, and players and just, you know, being in the building as a college media uh, contingent or being on a college beat because it's restricted as hell. But the fact that everything's on zoom and you haven't really talked to a whole hell of a lot of people in person and kind of maintain the, normal relationships you would have i wonder if things go back to normal-ish with like the media uh dynamic of it all just how much stuff is like oh by the way three months ago this happened and it's uncovered in like july if that makes sense like i wonder what if there's a few just pretty uh nasty nuggets that uh happen you know maybe after before we even are speaking about this now that like come unearthed in july because i mean i was back in oxford the other weekend and like I mean, there's guys on that beat that have not talked to a athlete in person or coach in person since, I guess, March of 2020. That's a long time. Now, Rip, this is uh, this is something where you you probably have closer or just maintain relationships with with your beat contacts more than I do. Um, beat contacts. That sounds that sounds really that sounds like a spank bank. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, like one of, I mean, granted, like, 
I, I always chide at a lot of these people, but I do recognize that they are doing their job. And so access helps them do their job better. But do you think for some of these more restrictive programs like like a Bama or a Georgia, which has been kind of like uh, assistant coaches, don't talk to the media, freshmen, don't talk to the media. Like, do you think you could see an even like further tightening of the purse strings now that for the last 18 months, it's been relatively normalized that like, no, y'all are able to like produce content and do your jobs without like getting inside the facility or talking to these kids on a daily basis. Like, do you think that we could move to something at, at, I, I'm assuming it would start at these bigger schools with a little bit more control, um, of just essentially saying like, no, fuck off, like do it like without us. Yes. One that Oh, well, yeah, I think there's an element of that, uh, too. Cause that was already in some degree starting to happen even before the pandemic. And so like, like you're exactly right. Cause now like all these colleges are restricted. They are, this is the perfect excuse to, now let's keep doing this on Zoom or let's limit access even less. I mean, hell, before this pandemic happened, like three weeks, I probably told this story on this podcast before or some other podcast we've done where like, we had this like off the record ish meeting with Kiffin and his two assistants. And it was basically like a lunch and indoor practice facility. And he let the coordinators come in and like we hadn't met any of them yet. This is right after he got hired. And so like, oh, well, we got to kind of like ask questions off the record for like half an hour or whatever assistants hung around like the two coordinators hung around or i guess in old mrs case three and like talk for a minute and then like they just caught like i, I remember dj durkin kind of just offered a wry smile or maybe it was jeff lebby i can't remember it was like all right see y'all next year because they knew that was the last time they were talking to us until like spring ball or media day or some shit so yes i think you're dead on with that because I, I think the uh, colleges that are already as restrictive enough to where it's almost like a cult-like mentality are going to try to build off this and limit access as much as possible. You would see it in professional sports because the players hate it. But what the professional media has going for it is the Football Writers Association of America, Baseball Writers Association of America, Football Writers Association of America, and there being actual contractual kind of binding language in professional sporting CBA about, you know, locker room and clubhouse excess that's going to protect them. But if professional sports didn't have that, you would never get back in a locker room. Like, there's just no way. It's not beneficial to anyone that works for the team or is employed by the team. So I think in colleges, like, the, the days of you having any sort of access, in my opinion, are long gone. And it's going to change the way you cover things. And it was already heading in that direction before this pandemic. Personally, as someone that always, like, I, I don't know, generally, like, relished being able to, like, create content with, because, uh, I mean, my, my general setup was, like, I, I knew several of the players uh, in a very, like, off-the-record capacity. And because of that off-the-record capacity would find out, like, what was actually going on with the team. But there was also this, like, understood that, like, the reason that these things are, are, are getting told is because we know they're not going to get written about. And so it allowed for, like, or it forced our coverage into more of, like, actual content creation as opposed to reporting. And I think it makes a little bit more sense because you see that, like, if I'm going to follow someone, I mean, just call it, call it Georgia, like, I don't follow a lot of Georgia information just because none of it I find entertaining. 
and like I feel like my barometer or, 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 or threshold for like wanting to consume something now is like, do I find it entertaining? Not like, do I find it informative? Like, I need to find out. Like, the AP will tell me about the fucking bombing in Beirut. I need that to be informative. I don't need like a recruiting, like a a thirteen hundred word recruiting update that's informative. Like, make it entertaining for me. And so, like, I don't mind the way of like specifically college sports media being forced into like getting people to actually get creative with what's being discussed and not just having this like I don't know 55 or 60 year old guy come in from Birmingham to cover cover the team or Atlanta to Athens to cover to cover the team where you're you're just basically operating on I don't know 30 years of contacts writing something in a notepad and then and then getting your your general presser or gamer or whatever filled out with the quotes blocked in in the correct spots like I would be much more open to having like actual real fun content out there from from a lot of these college sports outlets so yeah, get I, a, 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 yeah you're dead on a golfer made it to the uh match play of the state amateur this summer and i had no excuse me the u.s amateur this summer and i had known this kid growing up because he was from jackson for a while and i texted him i was like hey can we do i was working 247 i was like can we do a story i, can, I would like to do a story real quick you got time for a phone call he was like yeah sure like called me up it was done in 20 minutes and the sid shot me a text today say uh that was like next time you got to go through me for that i was like Okay, pal. Like that kind of shit, like is going to, like you said, just drive anything more in that direction. I think you're dead on with that. Like it's, it's just, it's so restrictive, it's so unnecessary. I think it just comes more to content creation than actual, you know, information. Because you, the other part of that is you don't own a story anymore. When you break news, it's aggregated within five minutes, and there's no, like, there's not a guy that owns a story for two weeks now because he has the source or the information that keeps coming out. And he keeps getting nuggets. It gets picked apart from within and also that you can now there's so much information out there you can figure out who that guy's talking to and get that information as well so like when you break a story now you own it for like 90 seconds and not to mention like a lot of reporters are shifting on like you don't break stories anymore because you don't get to tell a, a recruit where he committed or decommitted or transferred or made a statement about because he just did it. So all you're doing is reporting his fucking Twitter feed that everyone exactly. else has seen. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ross, what were you about I to mean, say? I was just going to say, as as the one person here who's, you know, never even pretended to work as a real reporter, uh, there's I'm sure there's a lot that I'm missing here. But I think one thing, if I may, you know, insert my own bias as I like to do, um, so much of the sport is based off of, you know, one program that has been the most successful and they had arguably their most successful year ever last year, both on the field and in recruiting. And if you think that the Alabama football program isn't going to take a lot of lessons from what they just did over the last year and the access they gave and the access they got to recruits by doing it over Zoom and how they utilized their time. And, you know, if they if they thought that their coaches were more effective because they never had to worry about any press coverage or anything like that, like, they're going to go even harder into every single angle they just had. And as we have seen over the last 15 years, every other program is going to see that and try to emulate that because they're going to think, if Alabama's doing it, it'll make us more successful because they still just haven't learned the fact that like Nick Saban's not human. And, you know, you can get 
is great recruiters. You know, like Georgia's been recruiting better than anyone else over the last several years because they, you know, have followed some aspect of the model and they got Kirby, who's a great recruiter. But like, I think that's a, a, you cannot really understate that specific aspect of it, which is that like the influ the primary influencer in college football had his best year ever on the field and in recruiting. And they are going to take lessons from that and implement more policies like they had over the last year. And then everyone else is going to try to follow suit and attempt to keep up. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think that, uh, just like just like most things are in college football, like you you find one semblance of success somewhere, and it's going to be replicated and then bastardized. It's going to be like telephone lined all the way to I don't know the Washington State program that figures out a way to to uh, comically fuck it up. But I mean, there there I think we really all- got to find a reference point that's not Washington State. I know I did it a bunch of times, Andrew. Like we need to find. All the love to to Washington State. We gotta we gotta come up with a new with a new P five you know off the yeah, top of our I, head reference program. <laughs> I mean R- Rutgers is Rutgers is easy. See, I feel like Vanderbilt is thrown in there if you're not in the SEC, but if you're, it's almost like too close to home. The problem is like I throw the I throw Washington State out there because not only are they like just historically terrible, but they are also probably the single furthest college football program from me. So if I'm, if I'm talking about true distance, I think that I, yeah, they got, are, are they further away than Seattle? Is Spokane further than Seattle? I don't know. Or no, they're, are they in, no, they're not in Spokane. Seattle, in, is, Seattle is, foot, is further from you than Pullman. It's Pullman. I'm, I'm yeah, Gonzaga is in Spokane. Correct. Right. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I am a, I would, I would just be shocked if we, and and ultimately, like, I, I think this is a good thing, though. I mean, I, I know that, uh, most, mo- I mean, generally, a, a decent principle to operate on in life is like, if you are making a large majority of like forty to sixty year old white men angry, you're probably doing something right, just on the on the the moral aggregate. But I think overall, this is probably going to be good for um, the kids, just because I don't know. One of my biggest pet peeves is always like media members are so insular and you spend so much time waiting and all of these waiting for press conferences, waiting, doing all these things that like so many of the stories that come out just end up becoming versions of different things. And so that combined with like what Rippy was saying in the, now that everything is aggregated within 90 seconds, now every single story ends up being the same. And so you, if you have one sort of leading, call it like dissenting opinion on a particular player or, or, or whatever, rightfully or wrongfully, you were then going to have 15 dissenting opinions upon that, that kid within a matter of, I don't know, sec- like, like a, a guy at, at Georgia who plays for the Rams now, Natrez Patrick, he was arrested for, it, they literally showed the amount of weed that was in his car. And it was less than a, like it, 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 it was, they put it next to a penny on like a, a comparison scale and it was less than a, a penny of weed. Uh, and, and it was just like that got run and then it gets run 15 more times by all of these media members. And so those are the little things where like, I don't know, it, I, I personally would love for Georgia to find that story, eat it and kill it and not let any media members get a hold of it because it's just not necessary for something like that to come out because then 
a guy like Natrez Patrick who does the exact same shit that I did and y'all did and every single other college athlete did is now like chided in the media and is probably going to tangibly lose lots of money because of just like this innocuous story run by a bunch of 50 year old men that need to get content up. Yes. And I mean, as recently as, oh, that had to be five years ago. And this probably happened a couple years after that. Newspapers would make their beat reporters check the jail dockets. Multiple times. Yeah. Before, you go up to the courthouse, you check the jail docket. It's like, oh, come on. Like, I get it. I get the exercise because you don't want to miss anything major because it's like, oh, whoa. But at the same time, like Andrew mentioned, you know, they're running with a you know, arrested for possession or whatever. And I, I get there's, I don't know. I don't know the journalistic, you know, ethics, integrity thing line of it. It's just like, I guess my point in that being is in professional sports, you're not, you're not going to the Atlanta Metro police precinct or whatever, or all nine of them or whatever the hell it is and asking for the jail docket tour. You can get away with that in Oxford, Mississippi, right? Also, because complete non sequitur to any, like to the, any other like larger part of the conversation Andrew mentioning that up and the kid getting arrested for a pity size worth of weed. How many athletes now in like the early two that got busted for shit like that in the other two thousands are looking back in twenty twenty? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, some of them. I some of them are. For that. Some of them. Some of them. Uh, like the ones who are successful enough literally have weed companies now. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I think Matt Barnes is in a is in a weed train. I know uh, I know Marshawn is. I know fucking Sean Kemp has his own weed. Like like these are guys that are like not like for the things that you chided them for and told them they were bad. Not only have they bucked that trend, they are now f- literally capitalizing off of it. I just if I if someone ran a story like if a newspaper ran a story nowadays, it's just like kid got caught with you know. I don't know. What's the classic term they use that's like below intent to distribute or whatever? Like, I think it's just regular <laughs> possession. Mean or marijuana. I don't know. I guess now it's different because in most places that'd be a ticket, right? Yeah, but there are still like – that's still the problem with this stuff is like the uh, – because I, I'm mostly thinking of it from like the the kid that's not going to the NFL. Like, like – the yeah. way that the way that these college athletes are venerated within their own college towns is like one of those stories running versus one of those stories not running could literally be the difference in call it the the fucking backup defensive tackle who got some run as a senior being able to like make a living as x y or z businessman or coach or or whatever in a particular town or or that surrounding city and not like if you have like the weed charger that like obviously there are like like uh any assaults or anything or, or anything against women is very very different but like a lot of just the bullshit ticky tacky like driving without a license fucking weed stuff like it like, like class stuff that ends up getting leaked like all of that stuff I think it is good to not have like this weirdly hawkish media that is just like like vultures circling for like any morsel that they can put and drop as a teaser onto the fucking scout.com message board. Scout.com, rest in peace. That was even the, the guys. Beat a scout. I, the, oh, go ahead. I uh, uh, go ahead, uh, Ross. I was just gonna say like not just the the backup defensive tackle who's gonna get some run, you know, as a as a senior, but like 
the guys who that may be the difference between a late sixth round pick and going undrafted, which like, I don't know the exact economics of that, but like there's an investment when you draft somebody versus when you just sign them as an undrafted free agent, they're a little more likely to make the roster. They're a little more likely to get that guarantee for the second year or whatever it is. Like they're not going to make it in the league. They're not going to be a star. They're not going to be there for seven years. But if they can get one extra year of an NFL paycheck out of that, especially for a lot of these kids that like grew up in small towns, that a lot of money, like that is a few, even if it's just a few hundred thousand dollars, which in our sports brain seems like nothing and compared to a lot of athletes is nothing, but that is generational money for a lot of these people. Like that's a huge difference for these guys. Yeah, no, no, no. It's the difference in like being able to pay off someone's house or like the difference in like, or it's even the difference in like, but what people I feel like don't really talk about is like practice squad guys now make in between like 140 and 200 grand a year. I mean, I know that like you are on the close to that much. No, no, no. It's like, it's minimum like six grand a week for like 16 weeks or something. Um, hold on. But but like those are those are like the, the this is where you're talking about like yeah if you get into the professional sport and even like little things now because I feel like schools are or, or not schools but like players are getting smarter about like okay you know what even if I don't make like even if I I played and got some name recognition but had no shot of making the league no agent wanted to sign me yada 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 I can still go be a high school football coach somewhere. I can still go do my own training program back at my hometown. I can still work in the town, the college town that I was at. You get a, a couple of bullshit ticky tack things that when you're 19 years old and suddenly those opportunities that could end up like just setting you up for a normal, very quality life for the rest of your life are then evaporated at the hand of like, I just don't think that a lot of media members understand like those narratives carry on with these kids far after they become like they stop becoming children basically yeah this this, well this year eighty four hundred dollars a week for practice squad guys that's a lot better than it used to be yeah it's i mean that's that's even just a couple years ago (laughs) That's 150 grand a year. I mean, that's not like that. Again, it's it's not great. But if you're a practice squad player for two seasons and then get cut, I mean, having an extra hundred thousand dollars in the bank trying to go into the real world provides a wonderful cushion that not most people are afforded. Yeah, absolutely. But I was just going to say, like, as Rip was alluding to, I don't know if they're still, you know, checking the jail dockets in the small cities, but like. As we were talking about, to bring it back to the start of our conversation about like what's on ESPN and SportsCenter and whatnot these days, is the more people are talking about narratives and sort of insight into what's happening on the field and not just like a straight recitation of facts, this stuff can go down and we can talk and we can influence more, you know, even the, down to the people in the small cities is the guys who are talking about like, the story is not whether or not the backup defensive tackle might have had less than a penny's worth of weed, it's that, hey, he's actually got a little more run into him than we realized. He might be on the field a little more. That gets his name out there before the season starts. So then when he's on the field, people are paying more attention to him, and then he can get drafted in the sixth round or whatever it was. So I think it's, you know, it's related to what's happening in the, the national you know, media TV landscape in terms of 
just the straight, you know, as like reporting of scores. Hey, this like Padres beat the Dodgers six four, rather than like here's why Fernando Tatis Jr. rules so hard, which I don't know how to t- what to tell you it is, but he does rule really hard. Dude's awesome. Problem with the like the the balancing act here, and some of this is willful, particularly in college media landscapes, because you have people kind of picking what they do and don't want to cover because of their allegiances and degrees from the university and all that. But like the further and further you get away from it, and as more and more as media companies struggle, it's like yes, like you get less of the ticky tack shit, but you also have shit to where like Darius Geist doesn't get discovered until he's with the Redskins. You know what I mean? Like shit. Like I mean, hell, just LSU in general. Darius Geist was probably a small example of that. Things that like LSU and things that just keep coming out way after the fact, like that, that are not being uncovered by local media. Yeah, and and the problem is the problem there is like you never seem to have any coaches that can operate with any semblance of like nuance with these types of situations and that like you'll have somebody like mark richt who is like wait like georgia georgia was the only school in the sec when rick got fired that was it was an outright suspension i think it was a four game suspension if you got busted with weed and then when kirby came in it got changed to a basically a one-time grace period where if you ended up getting bust or, or if you knew that you were about to fail and then you told them that you were going to fail, then nothing would happen, but you would go into basically some like class program or training program, yada, yada modules or whatever. Um, and then I think after that we got into like a one game suspension or something. Um, and you don't like, you, like, like, like for Brad Wing and Tyron Matthew, I think it was something like that. It was reported that they had failed like 15 drug tests combined at LSU. And it's like, I could not, I can't emphasize how little I care about 20 year old smoking weed, like how little that that actually matters in the lexicon of the entire broader sport. But it was always lumped in that like, well, you've, you pushed that stuff under the rug. You also pushed under a lot more heinous shit under the rug. There was never like a good, or at least that I have seen, where there was like a good barometer of like, no, we're going to let this ticky-tack shit go, but this bigger stuff is actually going to end up being a problem. Oh, I got Rip. a uh, – this is more of a well-gotcha trivia question, but – and I don't even know this is a fact, but I'm going to spit it out there anyway – do you know who unequivocally lost probably the most amount of money ever for smoking pot? It has to be Tunsil, Tunsil, right? Yeah, but I thought I was going to be a, a little. I thought that was going to be a little harder just because it wasn't a local reporter finding his name in a jail document. But yes, I think we'd have to be absolutely correct, right? I mean, you're talking eight figs over a gas mask bong. Yeah, doing doing things that we literally took videos of in college, and look how cool we are. And the fact that the NFL really doesn't even give a shit. It's just the shock value of it happening when it did, which makes the guy that hacked his account and did that. So just incredibly evil. But it, it's, the funny part about that one is like the NFL doesn't even really care. No, it was the just old, one guy passed on him and then it just keeps going. That really is. And, and th- this could be like the largest like villainization of or like the the case against like revoking media access full stop for some of these schools is like the players 
like like it seems like on the aggregate when you talk to the fans when you talk to the players and when you talk to the coaches and when you talk to the NCAA the only thing that they test for or give a shit about is performance enhancing drugs so i don't understand like like i i understand if you quote unquote break the law or there's any police that is like involved it's going to be a bigger story than it needs to be but like there is this insane and i'm wondering who like like who who drummed up all of this care over smoking weed? I mean, I, 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 the like National Republican Party. Not I shouldn't say all like politicians over the last sixty hundred years, something like that. It's it, it's it was a <laughs> it's, it was a, it's a it gateway was a drug. Devil's lettuce, people. Problem. But but yeah, I'm saying not, like it was it, not college football media who like led on this like oh my god well, it's weed like that was our mom. Well <laughs> well here's the, here's the thing though when you say it's the National Republican Party and then you go look at any demographic of any beat staff across the country it's like oh I see how that trickle down information works there. Like I I wonder what the 47 year old uh, that makes 120 grand a year that lives in Gainesville, Georgia believes. I I'm I'm just going to take a guess based on the things that I see them like on their what they think is a private feed on Twitter, and uh, it seems maybe not in line with uh with a, a lot of uh, young black men's uh, labor uh, being fairly compensated. And you know, if, while we're tying all this together, the the shitty part about the 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 Tunsil and the media thing is Tunsil had all that going on while uh, while he was at Ole Miss. You know, the entire last year and a half, it may have been actually two football, full football seasons at Ole Miss. Uh, we didn't talk to Laramie Tunsil. Freeze didn't allow him to speak to the media because of the you know the the light bill payment or whatever. It was that he has the altercation with kind of the piece of shit stepdad or whatever. And, like, I only knew this because I ended up actually having a class with him. Uh, Laramie Tunsil was in my journalism 102 class. But, like, and I don't even pretend to know the guy. But he's a great, like, charismatic dude. And it was just so funny, like, looking. Like, he got to the Dolphins or whatever. And, like, the Dolphins beat love the guy. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Like, it's amazing what will happen when you let a guy get in front of a microphone and handle himself like an adult. And the other part of that is they did the kid a disservice. He doesn't speak to media at all for two years. And then all of a sudden he has this average like scandal, whatever you want to call it. On the biggest night of his life, he has that unfortunate thing happen to him. And then goes and faces one of the largest media contingents in the face of the earth. Like, what the fuck did you think was going to handle that? Like, they do these kids a disservice by sheltering them to some degree, too. Yeah, because the, the, there needs to be more than anything. Like, if you're going to invest all this fucking money in the program, there needs to be like media literacy classes yes. on. Like, like it, it doesn't need to just be you're now a sophomore, you can go talk to the media. It needs to be like, no, when you talk to the media, this is what you need to say. This is what you need to focus on. And I know they like do it to some degree, but like it has to be like so cookie cutter in language in terms of like what they're actually allowed to like convey to these kids that I, I feel like it ends up just getting lost in the weeds and they have to do this fucking bullshit balancing act of like telling them that like oh your your school and your studies matter as they're fucking working them like 30 hours a week and and that like I don't know one of the biggest disservices in the entire like resource allocation of college football is like not 
treating these kids as if they are professionals. And then like in some capacity we were talking earlier, like a lot of these kids are going to go if they can into coaching or into training or going into something within the world of football, because the only thing that they have known up to this point is football. And so if you can give them like access and knowledge to things that are not just like the X's and O's and the culture of football that is going to make them better off in the long run, even if they don't have to defend themselves against a gas mask bong scandal on their draft night. Yeah. And I would imagine that chances are there's not a lot of more and like rip, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like these towns are full, not that everyone is, but they're full of like, graduates of that university who went to go like work for the local paper or whatever. Maybe even if it's just like a student reporter who is just super excited to talk to that player and doesn't want to get them in trouble. Cause like for all of the good that a good story is and they can do like that could mess up their season and then they're not going to get the reviews or like, even if it's just their personal feelings of that, like you can give them, I would imagine a couple gimme interviews with, you know, the the smaller of the two local papers or whatever that may be to get them a few reps. Oh, you're dead on. You're exactly, well, so it's not, it, it, it is that it's what it's not, but it's not just that as well. You're ta- you're right. You're talking about who comprises it in the backgrounds of those people at the local newspapers, too. But the, the, the other part of that as well is that, like, if you if you if you do a hatchet job, I mean, there's I don't give a shit. You know, Hugh Freeze is gone. We'll just turn this into a Hugh Freeze road session. Fuck that guy. Here, when the night the Laramie Tunsil thing happened, there was a guy at the Clarion Ledger named Riley Blevins. Nice guy. He was like younger than us covering Ole Miss at the time. And Freeze got so pissed off at the way that story was reported, and by the way it was reported, I mean accurately, that he basically just banned the guy from doing his job, like. Like, was trying to get him booted for practice access, and the SIDs were like, I don't know if we can do that. But, like, wouldn't talk to him, wouldn't grant him an interview, wouldn't go out, like, to the media pool contingent when he was out there. And two months later, that guy's back in his hometown of Chicago selling insurance because he couldn't do his job. And so, like, it's, it's that part, too, to where the universities have all the power, where that's not the case in professional sports. But, like, if you do a hatchet, like, even, it doesn't even have to be a hatchet job. If you do kind of a hard-nosed job that they don't like, like you're gonna get your credentials and shit pulled, and so for the you can't. And to kind of piggyback off what Ross was saying, it's like we're also when it comes to like stuff that doesn't matter. Most of these people in local media are reasonable people. Like they're not trying to bury some 19 year old kid because he got arrested for pot. Like the idea that we were gonna ask Laramie Tunsil a bunch of hardball questions twice a week for nine weeks of a season is just laughable but it's just rooted in the paranoia of college coaches. Shea Patterson's first start at Ole Miss was that huge comeback at Texas A&M, which is like the greatest story they had in that shit box of a season. And they didn't let freshmen talk to the media, but they made an exception. And Hugh Freeze came in there with this like sly shit-eating grin on a Monday afterward, right before Shea Patterson came and talked in, and tried to like coach all of us on what to ask him and what not to ask him. And it's like, dude, just go get fucked. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, there was a uh, there they there was that with Eason in that 2016 season where freshmen could yes. talk to the media, and the only stories were generated were by Jacob Eason that season, or the only things of note. But the the the, the things that stuck out to me was more like watching 45-year-old petulant men just, like, clamor and not wonder why they couldn't talk to – like, like from that perspective, 
it was like it was like week nine of the season and there's still like I remember there was one interview where like Kirby got really really mad at somebody because it was like they made a joke about like still not being able to talk to or, or complained about still not being able to talk to freshmen and he was like I don't know what you want like I, I, for nine weeks now you haven't been able to talk to these kids you're not going to be able to talk to them and so like I feel like there is some balance that needs to be struck between like it like it it does feel like at like the end of the day this falls on the school to somehow rectify this process of like you need to figure out a way to like at least throw enough chum in the water to these like beat this beat reporter pool that like they can get their stories written without having to try and pull like like if you grant them enough solid like quality puff pieces and i figure on a team of I don't know, 85 scholarship players plus uh, enough cool walk-on stories. Like you can, you can generate enough stuff that like the media pool won't end up clamoring for like anything too crazy while also being able to get some of these kids reps in the media before they're just thrown out into the wolves. But I, I feel like it comes down to like, all right, you're the schools. You were taking all of the money from this. You were the ones generating these TV deals off of these kids' backs. The least that you can do is like invest in building them up to some sort of media competence on on at least a local level. Yeah, but I feel like they're they do a lot of this stuff in sort of the name of protecting the players because you know I will say like I don't hate. I've never been a beat reporter and obviously there are freshmen that like should be able to talk. It's like, but, like, I don't hate the general rule of like, we need a special occasion to let some 18 year old who probably has never talked to any media before, like get thrown into the full press conference. We'll give them a little warm up, you know, stuff like that. But I also like, this has worked for them. There's no reason for them to like start granting more access because I think like a really, uh, probably a pretty good example, and I, I I can't speak to the Baton Rouge media, who I'm sure are great, but like all this LSU shit that's come out recently about Les Miles and you know when Darius Geis went to Washington, we found out shit like that. Like if you got any access revoked, and you ended up in this situation, the like group was just talking about, where like all of a sudden you're at a job and you're selling insurance in your hometown because you're no longer able to work as a reporter, that is going to prevent these people from digging around and finding out like, Hey, is our head coach like asking student assistants out on dates and like trying to do creepy shit like that? Cause if they, if they think that the wrong question to the wrong person is going to literally end their career, they're not going to report as carefully. But if you like force everybody out of the room and they all have to just write content that's interest based one or two of these people may actually start, you know, like digging in a little harder and risking their relationships more if the relationship isn't the primary thing that matters. Yeah, the, I, I, I I definitely agree with you there. And the um, someone needs someone needs to be an overseer of. Uh, these people who are essentially the highest paid state employees given carte blanche and an entire I won't say militia because army's worth of resources. And so there definitely needs to be a balance of like you want actual journalists doing journalism and doing their job and, and, and 
finding the delineation between, all right, there is a difference between figuring out what Hugh Freeze is actually doing and figuring out what some of these players are actually doing. Because there is also this thing of like, you know what? Maybe the guy that is being paid five and a half million dollars should be held to a different standard than the kid who they are uh, actively exploiting. Because um, I don't know, it seems like one has uh, been treated as a lot more disposable as the other. And so maybe the one that is not treated as disposable should be held to a higher standard. In yeah, regards I, mean, of I, I just I just don't see how it ends if it doesn't keep working for the universities like. You know, I would I doubt that, you know, the LSU regime is, is revoking people's passes on stuff they're reporting about less miles now. Maybe they are. But like. I would I think that as long as it's still working, we're going to end up in this situation where, you know, like, for example, I don't know if you guys really paid attention, but like as Alabama fans, we had a pretty good sense, like for this one example Najee Harris was obviously very talented and like he seemed like a good guy, pretty charismatic. But we didn't know a lot. Like he was on the team for a while, so he did some interviews. But, like once he left the school and started doing draft prep, he did like Adam Schefter's podcast and he's like his clips of these interviews with the Steelers now are going everywhere and he is clearly like one of the most charismatic and media talented guys. I've seen in a long time. He knows how to talk to people. He knows how to impress people. And people are really drawn to him. That, like, you could be getting that your entire time in school. Like, yeah, one or two things may not sound great. Obviously, like, at a Nick Saban coach program, this is never going to happen because, like, the man needs to control every aspect of the program, which has worked for him so far, so I can't blame him for that. But I think there's a lot of benefit to be had by it but it needs to backfire on a school first for any of this to really change. And I just don't know when that, when or how that's going to happen. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I <laughs> shockingly that we, uh, we end another banjo episode with, uh, the power holders in college football hold too much power. This is, uh, <laughs> we solved the media I, landscape, but it'll never change. We're all fucked. Congrats. Oh, yeah, we're all, you know, that does seem to be kind of the answer that you get to in, in, in just about any field that you want to discuss. As, uh, end of the day, yeah, powerless and fucked. So, anybody uh, anybody got any closing thoughts on this lovely banjo number 30? Mm, I spent this in podcast watching baseball, hockey, and women's golf. That's got to be a first for a combo. Flager at one. That's a pretty good, very intentional uh, nut shot to Jay Crowder while he was shooting a jump shot. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds pretty fun. Yeah. Um, well, we uh, unfortunately we've killed KP and we've buried him uh, in Odessa, Texas. Um, but uh, don't worry. Friday Night Lights two will be written about him. He will all live on in our hearts forever. And we'll talk to you next week. Clear eyes, full hearts.